I started reading a scientific article unrelated to anything that we've talked about on the show sure, called yeah. Around the World in 80 Gays. <laughs> <laughs> because I've been reading Journey to the Center of the Earth. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the way that Mr. Verne is oh, describing yeah. the guide is very, 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 very detailed mm-hmm. physically. Mm-hmm. And then... <laughs> The way that he writes the main character is having this girlfriend's like, oh yeah, and that's his girlfriend too. (laughs) (laughs) There's no description of her. Mm -hmm. So I went on a journey. Very happy for you. Thank you. I'm not done with it yet. Wait to hear the results. Okay. (laughs) Next week. Tune in next week to hear about Lauren having finished this article. And maybe the book too. Who knows? I haven't finished it yet. It's a good one. I enjoyed it. It is good. It took a while for me to like get into it. But mm-hmm. once they're like in the cave, spoiler alert, they go into a volcano. Mm-hmm. Once they're in the volcano. I think we volcano, already spoiled that. <laughs> once they go in the volcano, things are like, okay, yeah, I, That's, can, I, I can vibe with this. Yeah, it's when it starts now. popping off. Yeah, just popping off. To tie it all together, uh, yes. I did as a child have a wishbone version of Journey <laughs> to the Center of the Earth. No! Yeah. Wow. I had all the classics, um, and they're all, uh, they all have, like, really punny names. Like, Beowulf is called Beowulf. Beowulf. They all have, like, dog pun names. Hold on, I'm going to look them up. I had one. Uh, yeah, it's not Journey to the Center of the Earth, it's Digging to the Center of the Earth. <laughs> Robin Hound Crusoe. Mutt Kateer. They're all really good. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Dog. <laughs> all right, some of them are less elegant um but i feel like this is a just google wishbone books and just scroll through that list up at the top that is a very good insight into my psyche there's one that i had in my home but i don't know which one i didn't read it was it ivanhound it wasn't ivanhound no Mm. anyway this mm. is so this is meet cute. <laughs> our our wishbone fan cast. Wishbone fan cast. We're changing things up now. We're only talking about wishbone and our experiences with wishbone. I am now complete in talking about my experiences with wishbone. All right, I will get into which of the main characters of the PBS TV show Wishbone I had a crush on as a child. Yes, let's get into it. All of them. Next Amazing. question. Next question. Not Wishbone, though. I should clarify. Wishbone, mm. I consider to be discreet from the main character. Yes. I'm Lauren, and I had a Wishbone book in my house, but I can't remember which one. I'm Lee, and I just love this little guy so much. What a little stinker. What a cute little dog. Yes, this week we are talking about 3D printing. Mm-hmm. Exciting stuff mm-hmm. in this day and age. Yeah, when so few things are exciting. As of May 7th, 2020, we have to time and date stamp all of our episodes so you know the perspective right. that we no, have that's, coming that's very, at you. Very important point. Live from quarantine. Um, So this week for 3D printing, 
I'm mm-hmm. I'm giving in, and I'm going to talk about the thing I went to school for. <gasps> yes. Get out of the way now. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Um. So I am <laughs> trained, although trained is maybe a strong word. Uh, I as, have exposure to. Mm-hmm, I have a degree that certifies that I have exposure to. Mm-hmm, I've been near uh, stop motion animation. Um, wow. I am trained as a stop motion animator. Somewhat. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so. Um, no, it's very cool. Thanks. So stop motion is one of the oldest forms of filmmaking. Uh, It's somewhat debatable whether it's the oldest, um, but actually the oldest surviving feature-length animated film was stop motion. Um, It's The Adventures of Prince Ahmed by German filmmaker Lottie Reiniger. Uh, So eat your heart out, Snow White and Walt Disney. Um, Go Prince Ahmed. Yeah, honestly. Uh, Prince Ahmed, by the way, is not... um, well, at first, like, it's beautiful visually. It's absolutely stunning. Um, and the story does have some pretty glaring issues by modern standards. Um, but, yeah, it's mm-hmm. really, really pretty. So if you enjoy looking at things that are pretty, uh, it is very, very cool. Um, anyway, so it's wow. not... Yeah. Very pretty. Um, it's not stop motion in the way we think of commercial stop motion today. Uh, it's silhouettes. It's mm-hmm. not three-dimensional puppets. But the broad definition of stop motion animation is basically manipulating a physical object frame by frame to simulate movement. So the company I'm going to talk about today, um, you've probably heard of, Lauren. I'm sure uh, I've talked about it before. Um mm-hmm. But most people are probably somewhat familiar with them, and if not their name, their work, um, mm-hmm. because they are kind of setting the contemporary standard for what Western stop-motion animation should look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the only company in the U.S. right now that's regularly putting out big-budget stop-motion animated films, mm-hmm. and that's Leica, mm-hmm. based out of Portland, mm-hmm. Oregon. Um, so if that's not a name that's familiar to you, they are the studio behind Coraline, Paranorman, The Box Trolls, Kuba and the Two Strings, uh, mm-hmm. and most recently a film called Missing Link that I will admit I have not seen. <laughs> Came out like a year and a half ago, I think, and I have not watched wow. it. Wow. Embarrassing. Um, it is. It's on Hulu, too. Like, there's absolutely nothing that's stopping me from watching it, and I keep meaning to, and it just keeps not happening. Um, but... Where all this ties into 3D printers. I'm sorry, you're going to say something. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask if you've seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I still, I have not watched a single movie since the last time we talked about watching movies. That's upsetting honest. to me. I know. Portrait of a Lady on Fire is on Hulu. I know. And it's very good. I will watch it. I promise. I cried. Spoiler. Okay. When the dog died. Spoiler. No. Mm. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, speaking of dogs dying, let's get back to Leica. Let's get back to Leica. <laughs> that was a good segue. Very nice. Thank Very you. Nice. Uh, it's a real bummer that we sent so many dogs to space, guys. Um, yeah. But where this all ties into 3D printers is Leica's fabrication process. 
So Mm. fabrication, as you can probably extrapolate, is the part of creating a stop motion film where you build the sets and the puppets and the props. And it's all extremely time consuming and highly specialized. Uh, It's a lot of carpentry. It's a lot of sewing. Uh, You're probably working with a lot of silicone or a lot of latex. And you're doing all of this with what comes next, the animation at the forefront of your mind. You're not just Mm -hmm. building a tiny living room. You're building a tiny living room that your puppets need to be able to ambulate in, that your camera setup needs to be able to capture, and that the animators need to be able to reach the innermost sections of relatively comfortably, um, Mm -hmm. just in order to be able to work in that space. So your costumes can't inhibit your puppet's movements and any loose pieces of fabric like capes or long dresses need to be either completely solid and immovable or they need to be Mm -hmm. posable. They need to have usually aluminum wire mesh sewn into them so that you can control the movement. Otherwise, you're taking 24 pictures for every second of footage. If you have any wayward elements, if you have a cape that's jerking back and forth with no rhyme or reason 24 times a second... That is extremely distracting. It's all anyone's going to look at. So fabrication isn't just sculpting or carpentry or metalwork or whatever. It's also incredibly intentionally focused around the necessities of animation. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the coolest things about stop motion to me is that it has all these built-in hurdles and limitations because you're literally working against physics a lot of the time. You're working against gravity. But you're literally problem solving constantly. And one of the most interesting parts and roles of fabrication is the role that it plays in solving problems before they have the chance to happen and thereby creating the artistic freedom that you need in order to animate effectively once you get there. So a standard practice, not the standard practice, not necessarily the go-to for every film, but a thing that has been done for a very, very long time in stop motion um, for facial expressions and dialogue. Um, And recently on a lot of bigger budget stop motion films has been replacement animation, where you sculpt a bunch of different facial expressions for characters, um, and those are static. You, it's either if you sculpt them out of clay, you bake them. Um, If they're silicone or latex, you set them. And then you swap out either pieces of the face, which is a much more difficult process, but more precise, or the character's entire head. And with Coraline, Leica actually pioneered having those parts be 3D printed to cut down on cost and time and control for more variables while giving themselves this wider range of motion and wider range of emotion um, that Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have had with hand sculpted just because of the amount of time that it takes. Right. Um, Anomalisa, which was not a Leica film, did something with this that could have been really cool if it wasn't such a god-awful movie um (laughs) but like so if i mean that's i guess a good example of like a thing that this technology can do if you want to watch it for that that's fine if you like it whatever i don't care um but 3d printed heads and faces have been standard practice at leica since Coraline, and i'm going to go through sort of the evolution of that process yes please that's very i did not know that that's very very cool yeah no this is a thing that they I didn't I didn't actually realize until I was doing this. I knew that they did this, but I hadn't known that they developed it, that they were the first people to do it at all. Right. Which is very exciting. Okay. I have some questions, but I'm gonna let you talk because I wanna um see if you, you talk can about them. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Um so these faces are made with rapid prototyping, uh, which mm-hmm. is essentially in the most basic possible terms. 
the process of taking an image on a computer designed in a 3D modeling software and turning that image into a physical object with 3D printing. It's a process that, like everything in stop motion, was not designed to be used in stop motion, but has been adopted. Mm -hmm. The real world application for rapid prototyping is when you want to have a prototype of something and you simply cannot wait until you can get it manufactured to its actual specifications. So you model it digitally and 3D print it. Um, And usually it'll be a different material than you will use in the end product what it's not going to be as strong it's maybe not going to be the same size but it's a 3d model that you can either use practically to test it out or just see it in person in a way that you can't on a computer screen and it gives you a more cost effective way to see a prototype of whatever product Mm -hmm. you're making i i kind of wish leica would get away from the rapid prototyping language um it's a very small pet peeve of mine uh i think it's misleading because what you're printing like if they're printing faces for Coraline, Mm -hmm. they're printing the final product they're printing the faces that are going to appear in the film it's not a prototype like it would be in the right it's not Mm -hmm. like it would be in manufacturing where the language comes from Mm -hmm. um but i don't think that's a distinction that matters to anyone else i only I get bring it. it up as a point of clarity because I think that that's a confusing. It is. I, I think it's confusing to people who are outside the industry who might hear rapid prototyping and know what a prototype is mm-hmm. and not realize that that's not what they're actually using it for. Yep. That they're creating a final product. Um, so Coraline, as I've mentioned, is the beginning of this journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Leica's first feature film and the first time a 3D printer is used to make replacement faces. Um, But this is, Coraline came out in 2009, Mm so 3D printers are still very much an emerging technology. They're cumbersome, they're expensive, they're not perfect. Um, So 3D printing, the replacement faces certainly still had its upsides, Um, just for perspective. So a film like Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, they also used replacement animation. Uh, The Jack Skellington puppet had around 800 replacement faces. Oh my god. Coraline had over 6,000. Oh, my God. Okay, real quick. Mm. How do they catalog all of them? Do they have barcodes? Are they, like, numbered? How is it inventoried? I don't know exactly the, like, intricate details of that process. Uh Um, But I know that they have just drawers of heads and faces. That's amazing. And the thing is, the way that they're organized, I mean, I I have to assume that it has something to do with, like, the letter sounds or the vowel sounds if it's for dialogue. Oh, Um, okay. Like, the use use of them, not necessarily just... Yeah, yeah, okay. Right. And they're probably probably each cataloged with their in-betweens and things like that, so that they're... Like, you'll check out for a day. You'll check out, like a set of heads yes you know yes like yeah i don't i've not done anything with replacement animation um Mm -hmm. it's on on a big scale like this it's very it's really practical um Mm -hmm. but on a very small scale it is extraordinarily cumbersome it's a ton of work yeah it's a ton of work up front it's a lot of money Mm -hmm. um and it is a lot of effort for a final product that is generally not as good of quality as it like it's it's the trade-off is generally not very good right when you're uh, when you're making a small low budget film it's generally not going to be as good as sculpting faces from frame to frame 
I can see where having a 3D printer, though, on a, like a large operation would be time saving because you could have like a base file that is a face or the face of the person that you're animating. And then, you know, you just make micro adjustments to that mm-hmm. to print yeah. rather than no, having to make the physical model over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. And it's it's incredibly, um, I don't want to say this, it it fits really well into animation because this is already this is already how you 3d animate yes yes is you have it's it is a it is a digital analog as terrible as that is to Mm -hmm. say it's a digital analog for stop motion yes um where you have a puppet and you are animating that puppet you are it has joints it has all that good stuff right um so it's it's exactly that process Mm -hmm. um and that's why it, it does translate really, really well into doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like, already, this is the first time out the gate. You have so much more intricacy. Mm-hmm. You have such a wider range of emotion that you can work with solely because the manpower needed to generate these faces, since you no longer have to sculpt them by hand, mm-hmm. has decreased exponentially. Right. Um, so that being said, 3D printers are new in 2009. Not, like, brand, brand new, but still an emerging technology Mm -hmm. and they don't have a ton of features that they do now in 2020 or they don't offer the level of control Mm -hmm. that you need to do something this intricate they do have the features but they're maybe not as good as they could be Mm -hmm. so all of these like 6300 faces had to be hand painted (laughs) that was one of my questions oh my god yeah they had to be hand painted and you're thinking about this too like they have to be hand painted to look exactly the same as one another identical any variation is going to be it's going to jump out to an audience immediately because your eye is trained to notice aberrations like that because it's not what you're used to seeing and you perceive it as a threat like that's literally what will happen um (laughs) i can't get my two eyebrows to look the same on my own face i know and that's one of the i don't touch my eyebrows but that's crazy so Paranorman, like his next feature film, uh, they did print the faces in color. Uh, and that came out in 2012. So a couple years later, but not too many. Um, but probably pretty quickly, it became apparent that hand painting these on this scale was not going to be the way forward for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And they've sort of continued to hone this practice in each of their subsequent films. And this happens with a lot of technologies in animation, not just stop motion. Using one film after another to push the bounds with a technology, see how realistic you can get it, see what the push and pull is of the Mm -hmm. sort of cost-benefit relationship. Uh, Maybe 6,300 faces is way too many. Maybe it's not enough. Um, Pixar and Disney are big culprits of this, of choosing one thing to make huge strides in tech-wise for each of their films. (laughs) Uh, That's why I call Moana Skin Textures the movie. Um, but, uh, but this sort of innovation is really integral to the animation industry as a whole, in part because they still operate somewhat within the trappings of the old Hollywood studio system, where like, if you work for Leica, you work for Leica and you work on their movies for as long as you're employed by them. It's, it's your day job, essentially. Um, it's not like live action filmmaking now where almost everyone, even at the highest level, is to some degree a freelancer where maybe you're an assistant Mm -hmm. director, you work on one set for four months, 
That movie wraps production. You move on to work on another set with new people. Um, And the studio system where everybody makes the same movie together over and over again has its own glaring issues visually and stylistically. Um, Mm -hmm. Things can become really stale. Stories often suffer because they're written by committee and have a really like from the get-go, a really corporate-minded drive, but it also nurtures Mm -hmm. this exact type of process-level innovation because afterwards you can sit down and decompress and say, okay, what worked? What didn't? What can we do better? And that is what's helped this process grow. Leica doesn't just 3D print faces anymore. They 3D print a lot of other elements. They 3D printed an entire puppet. Not a humanoid one, but the whole puppet for Kubo and the Two Strings. So they're really utilizing this tech in new ways and continuing to innovate with it. Very cool. Do you think Paranorman's eyebrows are so thick because they couldn't get the printer to print nice, realistic looking eyebrows? Like, I guess maybe a better question is like, how much of the design is influenced by the limitations of that's that's a really good question this is a thing in i don't think in just stop motion but like in particular in stop motion Mm -hmm. because you are working with those limitations of like physics like these are real things that exist in real space um yeah but no i think that in general um most of the decisions on these character designs are stylistic i know for a fact that uh even before this Leica had uh the the circus guy i forget his name the puppet and Coraline, um her neighbor the circus man he was so top heavy that he couldn't hold himself up he had to be on a rig mm. the entire film and then they had to in post paint out that rig frame by oh frame for every scene that he was in um but like they in general, they are not super worried about that stuff. And part of that is that they have the money, uh-huh. you know, to do that level of right. detailed work. But no, I think for for the most part, I think a lot of all of their character designs are stylistic, save for a few elements that maybe serve to like hide face lines so that they don't have to paint them out. Fascinating. Yeah. How much actual prototyping do you think that they do? A lot. Like, obviously, they're probably not printing 3,600 prototype faces of Coraline, mm-hmm. but they must have done some to make sure that it's right turning um, out the way that they yeah. want to. Yeah, no, I'm sure ev- everybody does screen tests. Um, okay. every- everybody does screen tests with puppets to make sure that things are moving right. Um, that they have the right energy. Right, yes, for the role. Um, for the role. But... Like, yeah, no, like everybody does, everybody does that kind of stuff to make sure that things look right. But I'm sure that they printed a small batch and were like, oh, we're going to test these out and see how it works first. Um, And I mean, that's because the tech was new, but I'm sure they do that with each of their characters, too, to like iron out any issues. And Right. Hmm. I can definitely tell, like, Paranorman's hair, looking at it, you're like, oh, cool, it looks like hair. But if you know that it's a 3D printed model, it's like obvious his hair it looks 3d printed is it i don't think it is um Hmm. let me see i know that oh i don't remember kubo might have been the one maybe box trolls they did hemp for the hair one time they do generally their hair is like it's either stationary or like it has some moving parts 
mm-hmm. or they have like different wigs that will okay. in that same way provide movement as they pop them on and off um mm-hmm. i think that uh Coraline's hair was her hair was made out of um like hair cement and garnier products like they they it's this is the thing about stop motion that's like genuinely so cool is you're like how did they do this and you look into it and it's like oh i took this one like absolutely weird thing and used it for the wrong thing and it looks cool as hell so i am going to hold on what is happening no it's okay it's okay so many computer issues now so many computer issues what's that all about guys what's that all about it let me call up it real quick hello is this it yeah okay real quick talking you're not gonna do this it skit with me what the f- oh. <laughs> sorry bring bring mm-hmm. hello Hi, is this it hello is this IT? hello is this it i'm having trouble with my phone <laughs> Have you tried? Hello? Have you tried turning IT? it off and back on again? Is this IT? This fucking sucks. <laughs> that was in character. I'm hanging up my phone. And scene. And scene. Yes, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was our our classic <laughs> information technology character that I play. This fucking sucks. That's all they say. It's my catchphrase. <laughs> this is stupid podcast. Anyway. Speaking of stupid podcasts, I'm going to talk today about friend of the show, 3D Benchy. Who? The Jolly Torture Chet. Let me start over because it's so funny. I'm sorry. It's funnier than the Jolly Torture Chest. (laughs) Jolly Torture Test for printers, for 3D printers. Torture was correct. Torture was correct. You said the word torture and meant to. (laughs) And the word jolly. This is my kind of show. 3D Benchy, the Jolly Torture Test. That's hard to say for printers. I mean, it's that's really good though because he's got like a built-in jingle there, right? Yes, like, 3D Benchy, the Jolly Torture Test. <laughs> we stand Benchy. We stand Benchy. So Benchy is a free and open to use tool for calibrating 3D printers, um, designed and modeled by a Swedish 3D printing company called Creative Tools. And what they do is mostly like consulting type work. They don't actually make 3D printers, but they'll go and like help calibrate your printer for you or help set it up and, and that sort of stuff. Um That's and nice you can of them. and you can download it online also. So Benchy was born in twenty fifteen. Uh but prior to his birth, Creative Tools you know, who work with customers and set up their 3D printers, notice that there's a lot of waste associated with the calibration. So each metric that you're testing for, like each dimension, you have to run and print a different test, meaning that like it would take up a lot of printing time and a lot of printing material that would just go to waste afterwards. Yeah. And if something came out wrong, you'd have to recalibrate it and do the print test again. So like Mm -hmm. it was just a, a lot of printing for, you know, a handful of tests. For that that sheet that you get out of your printer that has all of the like cyan and magenta. And yes, it's lines like on that, it and, but in yeah. three dimensions. Mm-hmm. So in early 2015, the company began designing a CAD model that included as many features as possible. So things like edges, overhangs, circles, inner diameters of things, um, and it was meant to test the limits of printers. 
to just, you know, push the bar to see what printers could do. Mm-hmm. So the set of criteria they used to create their model was that it had to be measurable, something that you could easily measure by like calipers or rulers, other what things that you measure with. Mm-hmm. So you can quickly compare different printers to each other or different computer models to each other. Make sure your printer's calibrated. It had to be recognizable. So it had to be as cute as possible. Something that people would want to use and want to print. A little model that could be displayed afterwards or given away as a gift. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And it had to use um, low print material and cut down on the printing time of the calibrations. Mm-hmm. So Benji... <laughs> Benji is not a humanoid or an anthropomorphic figure, but Benji is a small boat. I'm going to send you a picture. I I was going to say, I I can't tell you how much effort it's taking me not to Google Benji right now. Benji. Okay, so it took me so... I was like, is Benji short for benchmark? Yes. Okay. So you know, working in the professional world of manufacturing, additive manufacturing is becoming like a thing that people are really interested in. Kind of moving away from what you talked about, like rapid prototyping for production, but like actual production with 3D printers. So like tons of people at my work have these on their desks and like I've seen them around in other places like at college and stuff. And I'm like, why does everyone have this goddamn boat? (laughs) What is this boat? Don't talk about Benji like I'm, that. I'm sorry, Benji. <laughs> like, but why is this boat like like the same boat? What is its deal? And like right. a couple weeks ago, I tried to Google it, and it was like first 3D boat printed, and it was like this huge like life size boat. And I was like, that's not what I want. I want the 3D printed boat. What is it? <laughs> so I I think I ended up searching like 3D boat calibration or something, and it came up. Anyway, Bodie is very cute. Not Bodie. Sorry. 3D Benchy. Mm-hmm. Um, very the cute. The jolly torture test. The jolly torture test. But the design is not only aesthetically pleasing, but also functional. And each surface of the boat shows... It's an it's, it's a, it's a actual effective boat. Yes, you can hop into it and sail away. Wow. Um, from all my problems. From all your problems. They're pretty small, actually. They're... I don't know. What is this the size of? I don't know. Um... An iPod Nano. Yeah, that's a good description. They're probably about the size of an iPod Nano, on that scale of an iPod Nano. Remember those? Mm-hmm. Um, so each facet of 3D Benchy's construction was deliberately chosen to test the printer. So the different surfaces of the boat show the limitations, where there could be miscalibrations and faults in the print pretty easily. The first one being the symmetry. Benji is perfectly symmetrical, so any yeah, devious... <laughs> Any deviations on either side of this line of symmetry are quickly recognizable to the naked eye. And you could just say, oh, like the printer's not calibrated on this side. The hull of Benchy, you know, the little, the part that would actually go into the water, is mm-hmm. smooth and curved and an overhanging surface towards the nose of the boat. So that would clearly show deviations in the surface finish. Like if the layers were too thick or not not quite stacked on top of each other. It's a surface that's pretty difficult for 3D printers to get perfect because they're layers on layers on layers. It's not like something that's perfectly smoothed and and molded. Yeah. There are planar horizontal surfaces. So the deck of the boat, the top of the chimney, and the box, the, the top part of the box that's on the deck, 
are flat surfaces that are parallel with the bottom of the boat. So when you're calibrating, like each of those surfaces should have the same distance across their whole surface to the ground. So if there's any deviation there, it would show issues with your printer. The cylinders on the boat, like the chimney, which is a hollow cylinder, will show deviations in roundness. So if you look at it and it looks oblong or if there's a notch in it or something, that would indicate there's a problem with your printer. There's overhangs, which I think are really interesting. So those are the surfaces that have no support material below. So like the little doorways, um, the hardest one that's on the boat for the printer to print correctly is actually the underside of the roof of the bridge of the boat. I think just because there's so much surface area to it and there's, you know, there's a larger area for things to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Low slope surfaces, which the edges of the hull and the top of the roof of the bridge are good examples of. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the printer's out of calibration, it'll be super apparent because the low slope surfaces will look like stairs or steps rather than a smooth surface. Mm-hmm. In the back of the bridge, there's a large horizontal hole. Nice. Which tests the printer for printing inside circles vertically. Okay. Uh, So the insides of these circles are like overhangs, but harder to print because they have to be perfectly circular and also smooth. Uh, There's small horizontal holes in the hull of the boat, which act in the same way, uh, but they have really small rims to them that present areas that might be really difficult for the printer to print because it has to be super precise. There's a fishing rod holder at the front. You probably can't tell in this Maybe it's in the back. I can't. It's so practical. They really thought of everything. There's a, <laughs> a fishing rod holder, of course. So you could take this out on your, your bass trip or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's like very slightly crooked, like the Tower of Pisa. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a potential for the slant to look like stairs, again, because of the, the layers. But it's also a cylinder, so it kind of presents two different torture tests for the printer. <laughs> and then there's also, you can't see it in this picture, but... There's first layer details. So on the underside of the boat, people will typically print letters or numbers or other characters that have a very shallow depth to them into the boat. So you can measure that and see is their first layer squashing, which is basically like the weight of the print compressing the first printed layer before it's like actually solidified. So if they're set to be at a specific depth, then if it's less than that depth, then it indicates that your first layer was squashed. So your, mm. your print isn't actually perfect to what your model was. Yeah. So the Creative Tools team made the model accessible to the public in April of 2015. So I think basically from the outset, they were like, we want this to be open source for people to use to calibrate their own printers, which is really cool because they have this amazing tool that prints in like two hours that can do all of your calibration tests, but they wanted to make it accessible to people. <laughs> After making it public... The model basically allowed them to make like a crowdsourced data set of benchmarking information for many different models of 3D printers. So I think that they own a database or some sort of set of information about models of 3D printers and probably how to fix, you know, variations in their calibrations. But a lot of printers now come preloaded with Benchy. So you can just first print. It's going to be a boat. Mm -hmm. Um and he's used widely around the world. So it's it's a really powerful tool, but he's also super cute. And like, yeah, what a great thing to like 
it's a quick print. You can do multiples of them in one print too, you know, on the same kind of surface. And then you can give them away to kids or whatever. Like, right. Yeah. Something that's useful, but also adorable. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, I like that it's not meant to be thrown away. Right. I mean, they could have like, easily just done like a surface and then let's do all of these things on one like right. rectangular surface. Right. But he's so cute. I love him. Yeah. And it was cool because you can like scale it up or scale it down and print mini benchies or macro benchies. Um, or life-size benchies. Life-size benchies. That would be amazing. My last job, they used Benchy to see which of their variety of printers was best for different print jobs. So they had a printer that was like a standard filament printer that had like the plastic filament that melted as it printed. Um, mm. They had one that was kind of like an inkjet printer, but it would print the liquid plastic media alongside printing this like waxy support material mm-hmm. to support the print itself and then it would cure it with uv light and then you would submerge it in a hot water bath and it would melt the wax off mm-hmm. that printer smelled awful it was just the worst yeah i can only imagine and they moved Put it some essential oils in the wax that'll fix that'll it. fix it go to the candle section at michael's yes uh and then they had another printer that was like a liquid medium and there's a plate that would submerge into the liquid. And then there's a laser that's shown up onto this plate. And where the laser was shining in, in the medium, it would solidify into plastic. So basically all those prints from that printer would be upside down as it like worked the, the plate worked its way up through the medium. But they used Benchy to, to compare those printers directly and how accurate they were, how precise they were. Mm-hmm. I love that for him. Love Benchy. They can print Benchy in a lot of different colors too. So that makes him even cuter. And it also Thank tests the printer for like how does it handle transitioning between different colors? That sort of stuff. I want what color Benchy do you want? Mm. What's your ideal ideal color Benchy? They make a clear plastic Ooh. filament. That's pretty badass. That's pretty good. I want a flesh colored Benchy. That sounds lit. Made from your own flesh. Mm. Love that for you. Maybe not mine. Oh, this one is cool. Oh. Hold on, I'm going to send it to you. The Gradient. Ooh. That's very cool. That's sick as hell. God, I love it. All right. Thank you to She's a Spy. (laughs) Speaking of fresh as hell. Uh, yeah. Thank you to She's a Spy for the music that we use at the beginning and end of our show. Uh, you can find her on Spotify by searching She's a Spy. You can find us online at meetcutist.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at meetcutist. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just took a sip. And if you enjoyed the time you spent with us today learning about 3D printers and their myriad uses you can follow and subscribe to us on spotify and itunes respectively Mm -hmm. and you can also rate and review the show on itunes one thing we didn't talk about in the show that i thought would be interesting is like 3d printers are really accessible like you can have one in your house but Mm -hmm. in that way like with the whole coronavirus thing and 3d printing ventilators and um things for face shields and that sort of stuff there's a lot of like open source stuff for people to use like it feels like much more of a experimental community but 
like there's a lot of free resources out there for you to make your own things yeah i was gonna say there's like there's so much open source stuff it it really has like a very community vibe Mm -hmm. like for being a like a a new and emerging technology like you Mm -hmm. think of that as like a thing that's very cold and sterile right it's it has like a very grassroots energy yeah and it's just a lot of people working together to try and best use this thing right that exists and it's very cool i like 3d printers a lot and to produce cute and cool things and useful things and yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's got a a grassrootsy vibe anyway that's our show that's our show thanks for coming we don't have anything funny to say because we used it all up in our it sketch (laughs) didn't have a lot this week we didn't have a lot of juice in the engine this week for humor Mm -hmm. hey maybe next time Mm mm-hmm